Hey friends, welcome to Equipped to Be. Glad you're with us. I'm Connie Albers. We have a guest in the studio and we're going to talk about how kids learn and how we learn, how the entire structure of learning has shifted. And that's not a conversation that many people think about or have, but I'm pretty sure once we dive into this, you'll be going, oh, I get it, I see that. So my guest today is Jonathan Brush. He is the president and CEO of Unbound. Now, Unbound is a project-based education company. I've known Jonathan for years and years. We are often at a conference speaking or in the exhibit hall. Unbound prepares high school students for the real world. And now more than ever, friends, that's what our kids need because it's changed. And I know if you are in the trenches, you know that. And maybe you can't quite put your finger on it. Maybe there are things that keep you up at night. Maybe there are fears. Maybe there are concerns and worries that you have. But Jonathan offers and Unbound offers an alternative to traditional college because we've all heard this, what you get your major in isn't always what you end up pursuing as a vocation. So when we unpack this conversation today, I think you need to grab your notepad, your phone, whatever it is that you can take notes, because I believe this is going to be a conversation that you will want to bookmark, you will want to take notes on, you'll want to save and share it with a friend. So please welcome my guest and friend, Jonathan Brush, to the program. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for coming on. Well, Connie, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And um, in many ways, some of the things that I think we'll get a chance to talk about today uh, you may not know this, Connie, but you were the genesis for some of it. We were riding from a hotel to a conference in Washington State. Uh, I'm not sure how many years ago. I remember. We had, we had a conversation that you said a couple of things, including a commitment to excellence, which I, I realize that sounds pretty broad, but it was in a specific context that made me kind of have one of those pauses and shifted my perspective. And honestly, Connie, that conversation replaced in my head frequently in the work that I do, and I'm constantly referring back to that and thinking about it. So you may, might, may not know this, but you've had an, an uh, unusual influence on on some of the things that happen in Unbound. Oh, man, that's encouraging to me. You know, you never know what you say or the conversations you have or the people that you meet, how they will impact their life and your life. And so I am so honored by the work that you're doing, because frankly, when we get into those upper level teen years and thinking about college and stuff like that, parents get overwhelmed. And now, even even more so now, with diversity, inclusion, equity, and, and all the things that have just shifted in us trying to help our kids navigate what is going on and where they should go. So I know they're getting good counsel from you. So today, we're going to talk about how there has been a fundamental shift in information. But before we do that, we're going to get to that in the meat of the show. Take about five minutes or so and talk to my friends. Tell them a little bit about you. I did not tell them in our intro about your family. So tell them wherever you want to start. Tell us about Jonathan Brush. Well, thanks. It's it's a fun thing to get asked that sometimes. And so I'll I'll tell you that, first of all, I've been a really unbelievably blessed. And I think the older I get, Connie, the more I recognize how blessed I've been. Sometimes I think, you know, God must have had a low opinion of me because he gave me so much help <laughs> along the way. There's been so many, so many things. He's like, look at that guy. I said, like, that guy's going to need a lot of extra assistance. And uh, I've really been surrounded by that. 
But um, I had great parents, and I was actually a homeschool graduate. I am a homeschool graduate. And I was homeschooled back in the days when, you know, we still did truant officer drills. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we met, memorized HSLDA uh, phone number and things like that. But um, I was homeschooled. I went to college. I was the first homeschooled student admitted to my college. And uh, my mom helped write the admissions guidelines, typical homeschool parent, right? Wow. And uh, the second homeschool student uh, that was admitted graduated with a 4.0. Um, you'll notice that I said the second graduate of the 4.0, not the first. Uh, she was also <laughs> amazingly beautiful. And so I did the only logical thing and I married her when we graduated, which Smart as far as I was man. concerned. <laughs> yeah, college turned out to be a smashing success for me. But then I went to work for the college and uh, through, a, a, again, sort of a strange set of blessings. Um, and, and really, this is pretty undeserved in some ways. Um, I wound up being the director of admissions for a private selective liberal arts college in Virginia just a few years after I started working. So my second year, a third year, excuse me, at the college. And in the same process, uh, I had a, a child. And so we got married and a year and three months later, our first child was born. And, you know, for those of you keeping score at home, legitimate child, but not planned. I mean, not, not expected. And I just want to admit to your audience that I was not happy with that outcome. And, <laughs> and it's, it's a shameful thing for me to admit that now, but I, I want to just be honest and transparent here. And, and I really thought, you know, it kind of sidetracked my perfect plan for my life and the mm -hmm. things I thought was going to happen. And then, Connie, and, and many of your listeners will, I'm, I'm sure, be able to relate to this, but that little girl was born, and the second I touched her and held her in the delivery room, it's as close to an absolutely magical moment as I can ever mm -hmm. imagine. And, and in that nanosecond, everything shifted. And I can tell you that there has not been one measure of time since that I have ever doubted that this was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Wow. And and I had that kind of transformation. And with it came this kind of, you know how like the recently converted tend to be the most zealous. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I had this kind of passion. I thought, wow, I had such a bad attitude about this. I had such a, I had such a poor vision here. Um, and, and it kind of shifted. And the way I sometimes say it is like, I'm married now. And I have no desire to be single again. And, and, and it's, it was so much better than I expected. And I have a child now and I have no desire to be challenged again. It was so much better than I expected. And so I had this kind of attitude that this is the most important adventure that I'm mm -hmm. on. This is the most important plan. And that was, that was really a transformational moment for me. And um, right before we had our first child, I joked around and I said, you know, with my friends, because I was still a little bitter about this, this is before delivery. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, start real early. I was probably one of those people that are unlucky and I'll be like 45 and have one at the other end. Uh, so, Connie, I have I have eight children. Um, two, two of the youngest are foster placements, one of which is in our adoption process. So I now have my oldest that I talked about there is 23. Mm -hmm. uh, the youngest is uh, five months and I'm actually 46. And I couldn't I could not be happier. And so you talk about just a complete transformation and attitude. Wow. Um, and in the process, you know, I had to struggle professionally, try to figure out what I wanted to do. And so there was a parallel there. And then I got the blessing to be able to work in education. And so my, my professional progress in education has paralleled my parenting experience in ways that have been really uh, sweet. And being able to sort of see like how this plays out practically and immediately in, in real life children, my own, <laughs> and then also having the opportunity to sort of see how this plays out at a more strategic level. Mm -hmm. And so anyhow, it has been a life full of unexpected twists, uh, lots and lots of blessings, certainly some challenges and struggles. Um, but yeah, it puts me in this great position here where I'm, I'm the dad of eight absolutely phenomenal people. And I just can't believe that. And I get to work with some of the best and most interesting young people on the planet today.
Oh, I've so, met uh, several. Thanks for asking. The yeah, I've met several of the folks that work with you and work for you, and they are just outstanding. They're just amazing humans that have a heart for people and and young people, which is incredible. So I just want to know how are those sleeping nights going? And you have a five month old. <laughs> there is, for, for, yeah. Those of you who are listening, there's a reason you're supposed to have really young children early. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the the last. Child, this last foster placement is uh, he had a little bit of struggles coming in and uh, he does not sleep. Mm. And so two hours, three hours is about the longest stretch. And yeah, that's always challenging, but it is a lot more challenging when you pass the big four oh mark. And so we are definitely feeling that a bit. <laughs> I I would agree with you on that. Well, let me you know, it's it's interesting how God's woven your story. I mean, the whole education, transforming your mindset of what a family is and how important that role is, how important it is to be a dad, how important it is to be a leader of your home. I was in the store the other day and I was in the baby section looking for some toddler outfits and this woman was just talking to me. I mean, I'm not really sure why, but she was just telling me all about what she's looking for. And I was like, I'm going to be your personal shopper. And I started laughing and I said, well, I said, uh, do you have children? She goes, oh no, I only have dogs. And I said, Oh, she goes, I'm not really cut out for that other thing. And I'm like, the other thing, like, what do you mean? Do you mean like having children? She goes, yeah, that's just not for me. That's just, you know, the dogs are good. And it led to this wonderful conversation, although it was a bit sad. She missed the beauty of having children and she viewed them as such a a time suck, such a it will derail her from her career and from a fulfilling life. And like what you just said, that is the fulfilling life. And you can't really say that. I just smiled and nodded. And she goes, well, do you have any kids? And I said, I do. I said, I have five. She goes, five? Why would you have that many? And I thought, thank you for that question, <laughs> because let me tell you why. And um, did it matter? I don't know. But you know, like you said in the beginning of the show, we never know where those conversations would lead. But you're, you know, there's something about experiential learning, like when you're raising your own, the fact that you were homeschooled and a homeschool grad, I did not know, I, you, either you told me and I forgot, but I didn't realize you were second generation homeschool family. But let's, let's just talk about higher education. We know, and I would even say from when you started off with that adorable little girl and you've raised her into adulthood. And now you're, you have others. I mean, you probably have what, five still at home? Four? Yeah. Well, strangely enough, for a very temporary period, I have eight at home. Um, oh. And so, which is just a tremendous blessing. I have four who are independent, uh, excuse me, three who are independent. They, they are totally capable of living on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it is a blessing to have them temporarily with us. And I realize almost every uh, every moment that is temporary, you know, and so it, it gives a sweetness to it. But yeah, but it also makes for a really interesting household to have five months of 23 years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so true. You know, uh, something I was thinking about this and listeners as as you're talking and I just wanted to maybe dig deeper on something you just said, Jonathan, my children all are on their own, but there isn't a day that somebody isn't texting. Like I've already heard from my son multiple times. Uh, my daughter already called to check in. Um, my son spoke with my other son who just moved to a new place. I mean, there is not a day that they're not either coming over, we're going to their place, or they're calling each other. And it is an absolute beautiful thing to be able to do life together. And the fact that all eight of you, there's 10 in the house, is a beautiful picture. And so listeners, 
if you're in the trenches and maybe you're thinking, gosh, if I could just 18 and you're out, 18 and we're done, or 16 and you're out, depending on your children, can I just give you a picture that it doesn't have to be like that? It can actually be a beautiful thing. It's it's doing life together. And to hear you say that just made me want to uh, expand upon that. My agent, I'm working on a new book and my agent asked me something about my kids. And I said that we're always in contact. They're always around. And she's like, that is so unusual. And I said, yeah, we don't make them, you know, they're not tethered to us, but we have a relationship with them. So I just think that's beautiful that they're all there. And even though three are independent and temporarily there, even when they go out on their own, they'll still want to be with you. They'll still want to be connected to you. Yeah, and you said something really important there, Connie, which is this doesn't work if you chain them to you. You know, this doesn't work if you tie them to you. Um, but what is what is precious is when you have individuals who are fully capable, fully independent adults, and then you have a mutually beneficial situation where they want to be with you and they seek out the mentorship, and you want them to be there, but it's not necessary. And and that's a that's a kind of a, a pivotal piece here that that you know I'm learning as as we're doing this here. But you know my three oldest literally could could in fact they work full time jobs. Um, they make really good money. Uh, they have lots of connections and all these kinds of things. But for right now, there's some benefits, of course, financially as well as others to to be at home. And uh, you know it's really fun to have that kind of. It's a new relationship. It's a new setup. Um, but it it works best when. You know, it's a chosen thing. Yes. And uh, you're right. It, it is It is very sweet. And honestly, some of the younger ones, I, I'd mentioned, you know, sleep at post 40 when you're trying to deal with the little <laughs> ones. We wouldn't be able to take care of those little ones if it wasn't for the just absolute tremendous support we have from our older ones who are all in on taking care of our little little babies. And that's been really fun. I know. I, I, I absolutely can see that. And I think that is, you know, somebody can help with picking up some extra groceries. Somebody can help with, hey, right. can you make breakfast? I mean, even if it's toast, can you make the toast? <laughs> I mean, there's, there, there is a team and that's the key. We are a team. We are doing life together. And you have been instilling that in your family since you held that sweet little girl. And we did the same thing. And it's a hard adjustment when they all do move out because you think, oh, they'll never come around. I'll have to be like, you are coming home to see us again, aren't you? And the, tr the truth is, it's like, no, they're always home. Sometimes I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm just tired. I don't, nobody <laughs> can come over tonight. Okay, so let's, let's get back to our, our conversation. I think that was rich and important. And listeners, I hope you hear that. I hope as you are beginning a new year, a new season, you've had another baby, or maybe you're preparing for one of your older children to go to college at the end of their schooling. Maybe this is the year you have a senior and you're having multiple thoughts and all sorts of feels and emotions. I hope this encourages you that whatever the world is telling you it's supposed to be, it doesn't have to be that the wheels on the bus fall off and our families fall apart. It does not have to be that way. So Jonathan, when we were talking about in the pre-show, we were talking about how education has fundamentally changed. And you have seen this from the time you started um, with your young daughter, teaching her and training her, and then she started homeschooling to now you have, you know, middles and littles, everything about learning, educating, finding information has changed. That's what I really want us to focus on. What is going on and what do families need to know? You said something to me that 
we are no longer in an information-based paradigm. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I think that when I talk to parents, and I've, I've met with parents professionally about education now for almost 25 years, and there's this, this predominant fear of the complication. And look, I can, I can run a parallel here. Uh, you know, I was, when I was younger, I had a, a sort of fear of money. And by, and by that, I mean that it just investment seems so difficult and so hard to understand. And if you persist in that fear, you'll wind up paying a price for that, literally, if it comes to finances. But when you talk about it, when it comes to things like education, you have people saying, everybody's telling me all this stuff is changing. They talk about all this kind of bad stuff. And we're going, how do I figure out what thing to focus on? And so I'll preface this and say, when I talk to people and say, hey, there's something fundamental that's changed about education, and people go, oh, great, here comes another one of those terrible things that I've got to figure out. But I think when I explain this to you, it should be a sort of revelation where you go, oh, if I understand this, it will lead me on a different path that I'm equipped to kind of walk through step by step. So, Connie, let me say this as kind of an example here. When I was in high school, I was homeschooled, right? And I wanted to learn something new. If my, our personal library didn't have the information and my parents didn't know it, um, I had to get in my ancient 1984 S10 Chevy Blazer and I had to drive into town, which is about 20 minutes away. And I had to go to the library and I had to search the card catalog and literally flip through the cards. And I had to find a, a book and hope it was there and, and not an interlibrary loan because as a teenage boy, interlibrary loan was way more hassle than I was going to put up with. And I was going to have to get that book and have to read the information from that book. And I'd have to I'd have to memorize it or I'd have to put it in some sort of note card system that I remember later in order to retain that information. And that was in, to various levels and degrees, the way people learned and processed information from the beginning dawn of history until that period. And that means that when it came to higher education, a degree was a certification that was more stuff in somebody's head. And since it was hard to gain new information, having stuff in your head was a really good thing. It meant speed in business. It meant convenience in terms of learning things. And now we live in this situation where everybody's carrying around their pocket a device that connects them to the world's information. And there is no problem gaining information measured in fractions of a second. And so when I say that, I tell you that that means that the knowledge has fundamentally changed and it's now no longer a matter of what do you have in your head? It's a matter of do you have enough information to contextualize new information? And are you trained in asking good questions because answers are readily available? And if, you, if, if everybody would just stop, stop and pause and test that and say, does that make sense? Then I would submit to you that that then gives you a, a place to start that you can make sense of all the changes that kind of crash through educational processes right now. And you can do that by saying, is this an educational process that will teach my young person how to ask better questions? Or is this an educational process that will put that is focused primarily on answers which have really lost their value because of the easy accessibility of the supply and demand uh, situation of answers now? So kind of does that make sense in terms of that fundamental change? Absolutely, it makes sense. So how do you teach your children? How do you teach kids to ask better questions? Is there, is there a way to do that that will help parents or even us in our work? Absolutely. I tell parents that, you know, before there, there's a there's a little bit of a crutch here is that um, 
and I, I can't, Connie, you're going to know the person's name, the guy who writes all the really important business books, the classic business books. And he says, you know what, what gets measured gets grown or, or something yeah, like yeah, that. You know, yeah. In other words, uh, uh, anyhow, it, that you can Google that search question. You can, you can use the, the example I'm saying here. Um, and so what happens in education is what gets measured is grades. And so people want to then teach to grades. And one of the things that I would just challenge parents to think about is that when you're doing that, you are measuring the answer capability of your student, which is is losing its power as, as a measurement of something valuable. And so that's the, the kind of trap is to say, well, I can see a grade so then I can measure and brag about and point to and feel good about the fact that my child is doing good in this measurement system over here. It's much more difficult to measure question, you know, the ability to ask good questions. However, the desire to ask good questions is born out of curiosity. And so one of the things that I challenge parents to do is say, stop worrying so much about grades. And I'm not saying you have to completely stop worrying about that. Uh, you need to have enough information to have context. So for those of you who, you know, if you're high schoolers listening, I'm sorry, you still have to take your classes, right? You still have to pass the test. Uh, you still have to have enough information to be able to run the Republic. There is a base level of learning that's going to be required. But I'm talking as you get into post high school, you know, uh, higher education, then what the, the primary thing we need to talk about here is curiosity. And so for parents, when I say, you know, how do I ask my kid to ask better questions? Well, increase curiosity. Well, how do I help my kid increase curiosity? And the answer to that is increase boredom. And so if you're looking for a, a parenting strategy that can help your child best live in the world that they're about to enter, if you can increase opportunities for boredom for your child, which will naturally stimulate curiosity, which will lead them to ask questions, which will then lead to answers, which will have to lead to more questions. Now you build a virtuous parenting learning cycle that can be transformative in terms of the kind of person that then can use these amazing opportunities we have to access all this information and ask better questions to get better answers out of it. Wow. Friends, I hope you wrote this down. Um, that was absolutely an incredible way to break that down. You know what happens in school, Jonathan? Not all of my audience homeschools her kids, and we've talked about this. We've talked about children are born to be adventurers, innovators, risk takers, creators. They're born with this expansive what if and what's possible. That's the world they live in. You know, we tell them don't don't stick your finger in a light socket, and they're like, well, what will happen? They're naturally curious about all things, and what happens as that little toddler starts to grow then we're like, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. We don't do this. We don't do that. And we're taking the natural curiosity. And, and for some, some is for good reason. I mean, we definitely don't want our children playing in the street. We don't want them, you know, getting hurt or harmed, but we start to take that expansive, what if what's possible, that natural curiosity, and we put them through this reductionist mindset. You can't do this because of that. You can't do that because this doesn't work. And our children, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, a lot of them don't even try anymore because, well, it's not going to work. And they can tell you 10 reasons why it won't work. So I love that you said we have to increase our kids' curiosity. We can guide, we can teach our children, but we still have to keep them creative. We still have to have them thinking in the arena of what is possible, believing that maybe they can solve a hard problem. And I like the fact that you said increase boredom. I had a guest on the program uh, Jenny Urich of 1,000 Hours Outside. Oh, right. 
And yeah. Jenny and I were talking about that, just getting kids outside, that there's so much that kids learn. Um, she made a statement in, uh, in, our, in our conversation about trees are amazing baby mobiles. How many people think about that? How many people stop and look up at trees and watch them blow in the wind and how they never go in the same direction constantly? So I like that you said, we have to increase the boredom. What would you say increases boredom? Well, certainly uh, uh, getting away from devices. Yeah, and, I figured and, you'd and say I, that. I think everybody, <laughs> everybody's going to be anticipating that. But along with that is also exposing your child to failure. And this is, uh, Connie, this is one of the things that I think is most corrosive in the educational system. And I don't, I don't mean corrosive because like some evil mastermind made it this way necessarily. I think just because of the natural progression of what happened here is that we have an educational system that basically teaches children from a young age that failure is fatal. And if you think about this, you know, the kind of standard operating principle here is that, you know, in order for you to be a successful child and to not do whatever it is you think is a terrible job to do for the rest of your life, uh, you need to get into a good college and, and then you need to major in the right thing and then you need to get a good job and that will bring you happiness and, and all this kinds of stuff, which there's a lot wrong with that whole theory. But in order to do that, you have to have good grades. So you must get good grades to get into a good college where you get good grades to get into good master's programs so you can get a good job. Well, when it comes to good grades, you know, with, with grade inflation, 4.0 is the minimum standard in many ways. And so therefore, any, you know, B, C, D, Lord have mercy, and F, that's a fatal flaw. That, that's, a, that's a failure that will then prevent you from getting into college, prevent you from getting into, and then the whole thing cascades down. So, you know, it's no wonder we have really stressed out children who are really focused on, I cannot fail. And yet, when you get into the real world, nothing looks like that unless you actually work in education. And so in the real world, what happens is you get into a situation where the older workers in whatever industry you're in, who you would have been like, hey, I'm going to follow them and listen to them and learn from them. Those people's uh, lives have been totally disrupted by technology. They have no idea what's going on. And they're kind of turning to the younger workers and saying, do you know what this TikTok thing is? <laughs> And, and so so younger workers are coming in and, and, and everybody's going like, look, we don't even know how it works anymore. Like we had a marketing program that worked and then Instagram changed its logarithms. And so, well, how do you figure out the new logarithms? Well, you try something and fail and 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 try something that works. And so that's a whole different kind of mindset. And so if you can teach children and, and Jenny's absolutely right, if you can get them outside, there's so many just natural opportunities for this. So, you know, like, look, that didn't work. I, 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 tried, I tried to build this TPE and it fell down and I tried to put the sticks up this way and I tried to do this. And, and so that blend of curiosity and in a expectation of failure that you learn from, right? Those two things are not difficult. Every parent listening to this has every ability to teach this and model this and guide a child this. It doesn't require special training or, or special knowledge or something like that. It sounds simple, but from those two foundational principles, you have a child who is completely wired differently and equipped in a much better way to deal with the kind of world that I think is, is fundamentally the same world that it always has been. But in, in some ways, these, these traits are, are emphasized because of the reality of, of the, the technological change that we live in. Yeah, it's, it's exciting times and it's, it's you know harrowing times uh, as well. I do find that there is a generational gap where the older generation who does have enormous wealth, uh, enormous wisdom and insight, they don't always have the 
ability to communicate it unless it's in a one-on-one format, partly because of all the platforms out there. And I want to circle back to the ask good questions. Um, I know at Unbound, you really work with kids, with young people, uh, high schools going in, not, not always hanging their hat on a degree. Let's talk about the asking good questions. And you, you talked about quickly and effectively mastering complicated mm-hmm. information. And mm-hmm. I know that's what you focus on. So could you unpack that just a little bit for us? Yeah, we call it, uh, you know, just because every educational group needs a fancy acronym, right? We call it QEMCI, which is quickly and effectively mastering complicated information. And honestly, and we say this every time we mention it, it's a fancy way of saying the crucial academic piece is learning how to learn. So, you know, in all that we just said here, you know, our answer is important. And, and I, I hinted at this earlier when I said, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you if you're a high school kid, you can now shrug your shoulders and not go to class. But what you're getting out of class is perhaps fundamentally different than what you think you are. Uh, if you're going to, and, and uh, Connie, I'm not particularly fantastic at math. And so, you know, my least favorite classes in high school and then college was algebra and college. I was more excited about passing college algebra in college and being done with math forever than I was about graduating from college. And so the question then is, you know, what value is college algebra? You obviously never used it for the rest of your life. And the answer is it was extremely valuable because I wasn't good at it. And therefore, I had to figure out how to learn something that my brain wasn't particularly gifted at. I had to break it all down. I had to seek out help. I had to find guys in my hall that would tutor me. I had to find other resources in addition to what the professor was telling me. And I had to really work hard to get that and to then pass the exams and all those kinds of things. Now, it is true that I have never used college algebra since I graduated from that class. However, I have used the skills of learning college algebra almost every day since I've graduated. And so QEMCI is just a reminder That when you're learning a class, there are some baseline things you need to know. I think everybody needs to have a working understanding of our history and a working understanding of mathematics and all those kinds of things. That's core answers that give you context for the rest of your life learning. But you have to understand that the most important thing you're learning in almost any kind of educational endeavor at an early stage when you're learning basic stuff is not just the subject, but how you're learning the subject is giving you transferable skills to then be able to learn the new subject that you'll have to learn. And in a world of technology of constant disruption, then what's going to happen is technology is going to disrupt. It's going to create a new set of problems. You're going to have to ask questions to determine how to answer those problems, to fix those problems. The person that can do that faster, quickly, and better, more effectively than everybody else and can master it because if it's easy, everybody else would have figured it out. And it's complicated because if it's complicated, everybody else would have figured it out. Those people will excel at whatever they're doing. They'll excel professionally. They'll excel personally. And so this ability to kind of, hey, when push comes to shove, mom and dad, is the educational process your child is in, however you choose to do that, is it teaching them primarily how to learn? And it's instilling them that curiosity and that love of learning how to learn. Because if they have that, whatever they miss in the process, whatever Ds pop up in that report card, that will become inconsequential because they'll be able to figure it out later. Boy, that's great. I love how you said you weren't necessarily great at algebra. That was your struggle. It was a weakness per se, uh, but you have to know math. I mean, you've got to grow a business. You've got to manage a budget. You've got to figure out how to make money, profit, loss, all of those things, investing, saving, compound interest. I mean, those are all necessary. You can't just say, well, I'm just not good at math. Well, I'm sorry. You might have a hard time eating or feeding your family. Absolutely. 
how you said, okay, I have to tackle this. I have to put in the effort to do my best and and really, you may not excel. I'm kind of like going all the way back to the program. You may never be a mathematician or a financial advisor, but you can run a business and you can take care of your family. So I want to kind of end our segment, and this has been such a great conversation. You know, AI has truly disrupted absolutely everything. And I was thinking as you were talking, um, Elon Musk, he didn't go to college to become a NASA engineer, a rocket scientist. That isn't what he did. And yet he has built a magnificent company that builds rockets and provides internet services to countries that would never have access to the internet. And so how did he do that? He read. He learned. He asked questions. I read a book that was written about his life. And some notable things that I think every parent needs to take away, and that is we let our children think, have space, ask questions, try, like you you said, failure is fatal. Tell our kids, no, failure just means that way won't work. Let's try another way. And you know, the space rockets, I live in central Florida. So, you know, we get to see these Falcon rockets. We get to watch all those. And sometimes they do not go off right. Sometimes they blow up. Sometimes they, you know, they have to cancel it. And they go back to the drawing board. And so, Jonathan, I I just think what you said about learning to ask good questions. Why didn't this work? What can I do? What problem is out there? Using what I have, my gifts, my strengths, my talents, my resources, how can I solve a problem? How can I further a cause? How can I accomplish whatever it is? And AI is, is kind of one of those situations where the only way you're going to get good information out of AI, and there's a lot of bad, but there's a lot of good, is to know how to ask good questions. The prompts, everything is in the prompt. So mom and dad, as you're raising your children, as you're thinking about struggles within your family, I'm going to encourage you to do exactly what Jonathan said, ask good questions. If you're struggling with your kids, I mean, this kind of goes all over the place, Jonathan. If you're having struggles with one of your teens and you're trying to get at their heart, ask good questions, ask probing questions, ask honest questions, look for solutions to a problem. Don't just say, well, I tried and it didn't work, therefore it can't be done. Figure out another way to ask a question. Keep curiosity alive and well. Allow your kids to have space, to be bored. You be bored. You turn off the television. You quit scrolling on social media to fill a void that you may have because maybe you can't sit still with your own thoughts very long. I think this is super important because it's not something people are readily talking about, Jonathan. That's why I was so excited to have you on the program. So as we wrap up, I know uh, I told you we were going to try to keep it within a certain Time frame, but mm-hmm. sometimes conversations are just so good they have to just run. So as we kind of wrap up, leave us with a closing thought and then tell everybody where they can find you. Absolutely. Well, I'll wrap back to my beginning statement, uh, Connie. Uh, when we had that conversation in the car, I was talking to you and I was basically saying I was frustrated with people being so stressed out and I was trying to de-stress things a little bit. And you offered a caution and you said, yes, but the other way to fall off here is that I see people that say, I'm not going to stress about this. And in the process, they let go of excellence. And we cannot allow our young people to lose this sense of striving for excellence. 
And I really was struck by that, Connie. And, and I, I came back and I was thinking about that over a long period of time. And so I think the closing thought here is that in all of the different things that we talked about, I want to, to hope that the, the listeners here are a little bit de-stressed about this, but I want to leave you with this idea that kind of was birthed from that, Connie, which is the way to maintain excellence without having to stress about everything is to commit to being extraordinary to ordinary things, meaning that right in front of you is this opportunity to, to parent a little better, to teach a little better about questions, to add a little bit of curiosity, to increase a little bit of boredom. And it's all little bit stuff. And if you would be willing to be excellent at those ordinary things that are right in front of you, to think differently, to take the stuff that you hear about from Connie in this podcast and apply it day in and day out, you will soon find that much as we talked about in our family situations, that the extraordinary becomes ordinary. And Connie, that was uh, something that was birthed in that conversation there. And it's a principle that we teach to all of our students. It's a, the heart of what we talk about in Unbound. It's something I try to remember every day as well. And if you want to find out more about what we do at Unbound um, and about what I'm doing, you can find everything Unbound at bbeunbound.us, or you can go to jonathanbrush.com and you can find out everything we're doing at those two places. And friends, I will have everything over in the show notes, on their YouTube channel, everything where you can find them, the classes. And I encourage you, if you've got kids, this is a great opportunity for you to connect with an organization that is truly equipping and leading our kids in this next season. So Jonathan, thank you for coming on the program today, friends. Thank you for listening to Equip to Be, and I will see you next time. Well, that wraps up this episode of Equip to Be. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend or family member and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.